Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. How you doing? This is John Swayze, and you're listening to Anime World Order. Woo-hoo! Eat it. is the place where I belong. Up at the top, riding on the Anime World Order podcast. Show number 26. June something or other. I am Daryl Surratt. <laughs> I'm Clarissa. And I'm Gerald Rathcold. And this week, we have a special guest. Our guest this week is a longtime anime fan for well over 20 years now. I'll be generous. In 1983, he, along with... Ardeth Carlton and Jerry Fellows published Space Fanzine Yamato, which was the first American fan effort to create a complete information guide to a particular anime title, as chronicled in Chapter 4 of The Complete Anime Guide by Trish Ledoux and Doug Ranney. And it was also reprinted in Fred Patton's current book, Watching Anime Reading Manga, 25 Years of Essays and Reviews. He is older than old school, Mr. Steve Harrison. Welcome. Hello, Internet. This week, Gerald. I've got the first rant since, what, episode two? About the licensing practices of the Japanese companies and the American companies. Clarissa, that should be be good. And Clarissa, what do you have to offer? I'm going to do a review of the two-episode OAV Special Duty Combat Unit Shinesman. By listener request, I have taken it upon myself Uh to review... M.D. Geist. The director's cut. Part 1. As well as M.D. Geist 2. Death Force. Uh, This is going to be really grim, folks. That's that's a lot of power for one episode. I don't know if power is the operative word. (laughs) I'm I'm exhausted just thinking about it. I'm still recovering from Gym Con, man. I mean, I don't know if I can take that. (laughs) Yeah, well. Truly fucking outrageous. Wait, 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 wait. Pardon me if I interrupt there. There's actually someone through a con for Gem, the yes. TV series. As is really. well deserved. Holy mother of God. I am officially boggled. You have officially <laughs> boggled me today. That's a record. <laughs> wow. My work Holy. here is done. Gem was hot. A truism, ladies and gentlemen. Sony, re-release those DVD sets and release the rest of the show. Yes. Now then, this is the part of the show where we answer your listener email. We were going to play the Maharaja Mac Daddy's voicemail, but we got something a little more pressing that we felt like addressing. Most of the feedback we get has been positive. Sure, that's good, but we prefer to get a mix of criticism as well, because otherwise, we're not going to know what we're doing wrong. This one is a voicemail sent to us from Rim and Scott over at Geek Nights, which is a podcast for geeks. You can check them out at frontrowcrew.com. We've got a link to them up on the sidebar of our website, which is AnimeWorldOrder.com. You can go there and read the show notes for all of our episodes, get the archives for the older shows. You can send us email there, leave us voicemail, all that stuff. Hey everyone, Daryl here. We ended up spending about an hour and change answering 
this voicemail message. So what we've done is we've made it a separate download. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash mwa9x, you can download the separate mp3 of us answering Geek Nights' voicemail message, and I'm just going to play a sample of some of the questions and comments they had for us. I think now the fans are actually more creative and more zealous than ever before, not just as much. There's now thousands upon thousands of people cosplaying. If you add up the efforts of all those cosplays together, it blows out of the water the efforts by, you know, guys in the olden days at their little tiny cons. You said that things like Hoshino Koi were the exception. I think Gainax is the exception. Yeah, Hoshino Koi, you know, is the good stuff. The guests are, in fact, probably more accessible now than they were in the past to a great many more people. The thing is, they're not accessible to everyone at the con, meaning the losers don't get access to the guests. You don't want your stormtroopers at your anime con? You know what? Ugh, wow. You're done. Just you lost wow. It. it doesn't hurt you if there's a stormtrooper there. In fact, I think that it really adds to the con experience. There was a huge fight at Otakon last year in the 4chan panel, which I won't get into, but... Yeah, great. If you want an 18-plus con, they already exist. You go to normal cons, then you go to the hotel after parties. It's hypocritical for you to act like some 14-year-olds reading Yaoi are all scary and perverted, but you being older and reading Yaoi are not equally scary and perverted. If you want to hear our responses, all 60 minutes of it, once again, that URL is tinyurl.com slash MWA9X. We will have that link up in the show notes. Please remember that the full voicemail message plus our responses is not going to show up in iTunes. It's going to be like the bonus Futanari discussion from 10 episodes ago. So you'll just have to go to the website and download it manually because it's not going to automatically download for you in whatever feed catcher aggregator software you're using. Oh, just in case I forget to mention it, Podcast Pickle did wipe away all of our favorites Everyone who added us as a favorite before, it's wiped away and set back to zero. So just go to podcastpickle.com again and re-add us as a favorite if you already did so. Or if you didn't already do so. Whatever. And one last thing, since this episode ran so long, I didn't actually do any of the work evening out the levels. See, normally what I do is I go through every half a second worth and even out the levels manually because I don't have hardware preamps or anything like that. So until anyone is willing to throw me $550 to get three preamps and a mixer board, that's how it's going to be. But because it was five hours of recording this week, I didn't do that. So if the episode sucks and sounds bad, that's why. If it doesn't sound bad, maybe I'll just never do it ever again. And people will deal with it. I don't know. But yeah, thanks very much, Rim and Scott. We spent about 90 minutes responding to this, which we're going to catch our asses editing. I think maybe this needs to be bonus downloadable content. Bonus download on I think I think this is a terrifying <laughs> editing proposition I, Yeah, here. that's a good idea. And we can mm-hmm. throw in some other bonus, you know, because people always keep asking us, hey, why don't you release just the unedited Spriggan review? Why don't you release the unedited whatever review? <laughs> and we'll say, oh, you don't really want that. And no, we'll say, don't. okay. Like, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, you do. Okay, we'll, we can give it to you in the form of answering this. and we can. Just <laughs> you know you want it. You have to have it. 
Yeah. And then when you hear us <laughs> stuttering and interrupting each other and being like, oh, no. Oh, this is unlistenable. Yeah. Should yeah. have listened to them saying that the importance yep. of editing was vital because <laughs> we're not all Mer Lafferty or whoever it is is a, I don't know, editing god in terms of being erudite. I don't know. But this is raw, baby. This is the revolution and it's happening. Generation X is in effect. Music is the weapon. That's you right. You gotta get Aerosmith's car and <laughs> go around the world. And, man, get my CD game. shooting gun ready. Yeah. Oh. See, Steve understands. So, so, do we want to skip news this week and just go to... Was there really... Well, plus you'll have those, you'll have those Anime Expo announcements and the critical uh, fallout from the anime apocalypse that's happening this weekend. Yeah. So. Mm. Okay, so yeah, we do welcome... Criticism, as long as it's well thought out, like I thought this was. Yeah, we yeah. applaud you guys. We're not angry. I don't want to see people no, saying, no. Oh, fuck you guys for talking about the anime world order. Let's get them. I'm There's mature enough to going understand. Going on between two of us or anything. Yeah. Even if we yell at you, it's just our dysfunctional way of expressing our love. If we're doing things wrong, if you don't like a segment that we did, if you thought I was weak in reviewing something, or if you don't like certain segments, let us know. And then... And only then will we be able to be aware that there's problems that need to be mm-hmm. things. Or if we say things that you don't agree with. We love to hear that because it sparks a debate. This is proof. It sparks discussion. Yeah. Look at how long we've been talking about this. Yep. <laughs> AnimeWorldOrder at gmail.com. That's our email address for you to send <laughs> us feedback. Uh. Or you can record an MP3 like what Rim and Scott did and send that to us. That's the best way to get in touch with us. Or you can leave us voicemail. At our voicemail number, which is 206-6664-AWO. If you can't really remember what those uh, letters and numbers correspond to, on your phone, that's 206-666-4296. All right, let's get to the reviews now. Who wants to go first? I can do you want to do my rant since we're on a roll? Yeah, let's go for it, Gerald. <laughs> rant, 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 rant. So everyone's been yelling at us to do some promo. Yeah, what's the deal? I don't know. I, I, I All promos I hear suck. And it kind of sucks to talk about ourselves. What are we going to say? Yeah, Geek Nights is awesome. Yeah, what are we going to say? You should listen to the Geek Nights podcast, the best podcast in the world. Maybe we could do something clever. I don't know, make a story, some sort of funny gag. But all those funny gags, you know, if it's so forced and corny, that's no good, you know, because our podcast is the exact opposite of forced and corny. Yeah, like it's it, just let loose. In a world where anime and manga are blah, 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 geek nights, geek nights. In a world where geeks are king and they need podcasts four nights a week about everything. Listen to geek. It's, it's such crap. That's not going to make anyone want to listen. Yeah, so what are we going to do? I, I really have no idea. I, I hate self promoting, it makes me feel uncomfortable, it makes me feel like a shill. I I don't know. What do we do? We could just tell people the URL and they'll figure it out for themselves. Maybe. All right, Geek Nights, www.frontrowcrew.com. That, that was painful. Yeah, that felt really bad. All right. I want to make a couple of things clear. Now, number one, I'm not an industry insider. I don't work for the industry and I'm not very good friends with John O'Donnell of CPM or John Ledford of ADV or John Cirabella of Media Blasters. And, and neither are any of us. Yeah. No, yeah. None of us can truly say that we know what we're talking about. We suck. I talked to Robert Woodhead once. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so all the information I've got I would consider reliable because much of it came from the mouths of people that do work in the industry. 
or I actually got this information myself. Oh. Now, two, there may be exceptions to what I'm going to say here, as there are exceptions to everything, but my point is not the exceptions, my point is the rule. Three, I make assumptions about a couple of costs and numbers and figures and things that are sold, and I don't want to make assumptions, but I don't really have a choice, because that's really all that I can get from the industry. And four, this kind of goes with three, the American anime industry is an incredibly secretive industry. And they don't release many hard numbers when it comes to licensing and release costs. So to prevent me from beginning every single fact with, it seems to me, the facts point to, I think that this is how it is, I'm just going to go up front and say that all facts should be taken with a grain of salt. Now, on to my point. Not, not, not necessarily all facts should be taken with a grain of salt, but all things that you might say are stated as fact are actually things to be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah, right. It's a complex situation where you're trying to derive a point based on a complete lack of data, and yet there are inferences in history that can point to certain things. So think of it more of it as a thought exercise. Yeah. Yeah, this is thought bird training. So yes. let me get to the point. My point to this is that the Japanese are out of touch with the American marketplace, and they don't seem to have the right idea of what the American marketplace is capable of, or the right idea on how to approach it, or really what it's worth outside of Japan. Now, I have to thank Tim Eldred and his conversation with John O'Donnell for some of the information in this, so thanks, Tim. Now, several years ago, between 2001 and 2004, anime companies were really getting heavily into licensing. The largest licensors were by far ADV Films, who licensed an average of about 14 shows a year, with around 11 shows being licensed at Anime Expo alone. Bandai was relatively consistent with five or six shows a year, and Ganyan was licensing about seven or eight shows a year. Now, this was the time when the anime market was in the really heavy growth phase. The market had come out of its infancy around the time between 1995 and 1998, and that was when the so-called killer apps of anime came about, and I think that those were Pokemon, Gundam Wing, and the advent of the DVD. Now, between 1998 and 2004, the anime market was growing very heavily. There were tons of licenses every year. There were many, many DVDs being released every month, and there were tons of Hollywood movie deals, most likely ignited by The Matrix. However, it went from increasing at an increasing rate, to use a mathematical term, to increasing at a decreasing rate, meaning that the people were coming into anime, but they were coming in at kind of a slower rate. Now, the number of people who are buying anime is essentially, it may not have leveled off yet, but it's getting close to that. Now, partially because that there's nothing in the marketplace that's really reigniting an interest in anime. It's no longer the new, cool thing. There's not really a franchise that has appeared recently that is bringing a lot of new people into anime. And my argument is franchises like Full Metal Alchemist are largely appealing to a fan base that's already there. Now, mm. I, uh, there's argument, and please save it. Um, <laughs> please. Now, it seems that the anime industry is no longer a growth industry. That, therefore, what money is there is kind of there. It doesn't mean that anime is not profitable anymore. However, without more people coming in, the amount of money that you can get from each person is relatively finite. The Japanese industry seems to think that this is 2002, and doesn't seem to be taking that into consideration when they are pricing products for licensing. There seemed to be a very stark drop-off of anime licenses right after 2005, with the exception of uh, Ganyon, who seems to have remained very consistent all ever since 2001. 
Now, anime companies are fighting over properties that seem more and more important to their future. The word on the street is that Funimation paid an enormous amount of money for Full Metal Alchemist. One of the most successful shows of 2005 has not been able to turn the profit that they really wanted. I really wish I could confirm that because that's, that's really big news if it is true. Yeah. Now, I will unofficially, through, like, you know, anonymous, possibly made up and non existent sources, say that it is, in fact, the case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. No, I, that's how the anime world order operates from the shadows. Yeah. There are additional factors involved in this that I'll be glad to chime in on later, but I don't want to interrupt your narrative thrill. Okay. <laughs> Japanese companies seem to view the success, at least from their perspective, of Full Metal Alchemist with the same zeal that they review every one of their other properties, and they seem to price them accordingly. One of the big things I heard was that some of the licenses for animated shows can run up to $70,000 per half hour. Now, suppose that that $70,000 is the upper echelon price, that that is the price that you pay for that top-level show. Still, so holy crap. Yeah. And yeah. Sorry, but... <laughs> Let's say that you're a big anime company, and you get one of these upper echelon shows. And let's say that it's 26 episodes. Most of those shows are 52, but I'm going to go conservative. Just to license the show, just to get the rights to release it, that's going to be about $1,820,000. Then, according to a posted article some years ago in Anime News Network, it costs about $12,000 an episode to dub a show. Let's say, again, this is... a uh, upper echelon high tier show and now with inflation let's say that it costs about $15,000 per episode to dub a show go on one, th one thing is aside there I think that the dubbing cost is not a flexible variable in the thing because it's going to cost the same to dub Full Metal Alchemist as it is to dub Perfectual Earth Defense Force it's right. about like union yeah. versus non-union Maybe that's the well. Most, I don't. Very few of them use the union people. Right. Yeah, they no. usually don't use union people at all. So, so no, it's pretty much yeah. constant. I think your dubbing cost is not quite as variable as the cost of the licensing is. I think mm. that's. I, I, I think that's one of the factors that the the companies take into account is that they. Well, especially I know from past experience that John O'Donnell definitely took that into account. Is that you know it's going to cost X amount of money to dub X number of episodes. Right, that's, you know. that's why I'm going with the, the idea that it's going to cost $15,000 per episode. Okay. So that means that now this show costs $2,210,000 before a single DVD is printed, before a single cover is designed, or even an advertisement a new type is bought. Yeah, that's insane. And so let's say that, that the process comes out to around $3 million. I think that that's relatively conservative, but, but I'm just going with that. And that's I'm going to say... And I'm going to say that the uh, variable cost is negligible. I, let's say it's 75 cents to press out a DVD and a CD booklet. While the cost seems low to me, let's say that the Japanese company sells a DVD to a retailer for, this is going to kill me because I have no evidence for this, let's say around $10. And then they sell it for $30. That means that you'd have to sell 300,000 copies of a series in order to break even, and no company ever wants to break even, ever. You want to make a profit. Now, considering that Napoleon Dynamite sold more DVDs in its opening release than pretty much all anime DVD sales of the year combined, that seems like a pretty hard thing to, to pull off. Mm -hmm. Now, while there are big shows out there like Dragon Ball Z, Evangelion, and Full Metal Alchemist, and Naruto that pull in the really big bucks, the painful reality is that 
the Japanese view old shows, new shows, and niche moe shows pretty much the same way. Now, I doubt that there are many shows that actually go for that $70,000 per half hour, but even if a show went for $20,000 an episode, that's probably going to strain a lot of companies. This means that a company that wants to license Combattler V or Future Police Urashimon, both of these shows are over 20 years old, they're probably going to have to pay a similar amount to a new show that aired just a few months ago. Why do you not see too many old school shows? That's because that the costs just don't add up to a potential audience. <laughs> but the Japanese approach seems to prevent many shows from getting here. Now, there is some truth to this that things like Dragon Ball Z and most Shonen Jump shows have proven, but it's not always true. One of the biggest shows of the year for otaku in Japan was Two Heart. Apparently, John Cirabella was looking at the show as a potential license, but he tried to explain to the Japanese that the appeal of Two Heart was very much more limited in America. It didn't seem to connect, and he gave up on licensing the show, which then was licensed by Right Stuff International. I have no idea how much ADV paid for the license to Sister Princess, which was another gigantic show, but I'm sure that they're regretting it now. I hope they're regretting it now. <laughs> and this is nothing new. ADV was looking at the license to the Neon Genesis Evangelion movies, but the amount of money that the licensing company wanted, and by the way, I have no idea who the licensing company was since there were 10 production companies on the movie. <laughs> Apparently, the costs were so much that ADV said no thank you, and they used the money that they would have used to license the Evangelion movies to license 11 other TV series. Wow. There, there have been similar restrictions on costs on many other anime-related properties, such as Memories, which was notoriously expensive, to the point that only Columbia TriStar seemed to be able to afford to license it. Now, American anime companies are just pushed out of the way, and the Japanese companies want their material to go to the mass market, so they've been selling them to the really big um, movie companies who can pay the big bucks. There's one problem with this, though, that anime is a niche market, and there hasn't really been an anime that pretty much all of America has watched yet. The closest that I can think of is Speed Racer and Robotech, maybe Pokemon. Yeah. That's what about, about it. Astro Boy? That was on NBC. That's another That's before, one. before, yeah, okay. Actually, but, of all the things you mentioned, I think Pokemon would be the biggest. far and away yeah. much more viewed than anything else, even Speed Racer. Mm -hmm. uh, as mm -hmm. beloved as Speed Racer is, and as much as it's you know, become ingrained in the pop culture, in terms of sheer viewer impressions, to, to use a business speak thing, I hate it when I have to do that. You know, I think Pokemon, far and away, had a lot more uh, eyeballs mm, at any yeah. other time. I would agree, but I think that the second most watched is so far distant to Pokemon yes. that it's, it's yes. almost not even mentionable. These companies just don't seem to understand that if they sell several thousand DVDs of an anime DVD in America, that's probably a success. Your DVD sales are just not going to be like a major Hollywood motion picture. Now, the American anime companies know this, and it seems like they're telling the Japanese companies this, that their licensing costs are far too much in the only way that they can that will have an effect, and that is by not licensing material at the exorbitant cost or concentrating on their own material. AD Vision went from 12 licenses in one year to one the next year, which was Macross, which I'm quite certain that no Japanese company saw a single cent of because I'm sure that they licensed that through Harmony Gold. Ganeon has, remained... yeah. has remained fairly consistent. However, I'm pretty sure that that can be attributed to the relationship that they have with Ganeon in Japan. 
Mm. And while they are not the same company, I've heard from people who work there that they do have a very close relationship. This may alleviate the licensing costs. Yeah, they probably get know. like first crack. Or yeah. Like then there are other companies like Media Blasters, Right Stuff, and Central Park Media who, as far as I can tell, have to fend for themselves. Now, in the news this week, uh, we actually talked about how ADV was partially bought by Sojits. And this was done as a means of cr creating a better presence in Japan to license material and greater access to monetary resources. Now, to counteract this, the biggest of the Japanese anime companies have tried to create a presence of their own by releasing their own material. However, the biggest and most notable of them, Toy, made far too many assumptions about the American mm. marketplace and they failed miserably. Yep. Even other companies, Sega tried to do this when they released Raijin Manga which we will have to do a segment on in the future, and which also failed. Bandai created a subsidiary in America to release their own products like Gundam, which just has not done very well for them. And now they've created another subsidiary, Bandai Visual, which I don't know how that's doing, but I don't see people paying $90 for a box of Pat Labor 1. Startups like Books Nippon back in the early 90s were able to get away with things even though they weren't the creators of the anime that they were licensing, but because there was so little on the market, they were able to basically do what they wanted because they had very little competition. There's actually an interesting note that in the hentai community, it's been a joke that any Japanese hentai company that tries to get into the American industry almost instantly goes out of business. There's about half a dozen of them. Now, I don't exactly have any prescriptive measures that aren't already happening. American companies are licensing less. They're doing this because they understand that the market can't possibly make back the money from the Japanese companies are asking for. Maybe these companies will learn their lesson and maybe we will see a large number of licenses later on. But it seems to me that we probably won't see the large number of licenses that we saw in the early part of the decade. Unless there is another killer app for anime, we probably will never go back to the times of the early 90s, but we probably won't be seeing the very height of the anime industry that we saw in around 2003, 2004. That's what I have to say. Now, I guess the biggest annoyance for me is that the Japanese companies seem to view pretty much all of their material the same way. It seems to me as if a Japanese company wanted to license something like, I don't know, Sanford and Son or something. Uh -huh. to a small um, Japanese American TV audience and then they wanted to charge a very, very high price. It's the same price that maybe it would go for if it were being, I don't know, syndicated in America. I have no idea. But there, there is a difference there and I, I think this is something that could be telling in that, if I may. Because this goes to something, a few things that I, I do know about and it's you know, the advantage of having worked at Suncoast all those darn dreary years. Stanford and Son, I think is a Warner Brother thing. There wouldn't be a company in Japan sitting back and saying, gee, we want to license Sanford and Son. Warner Brothers Japan would say, yeah. ah, the time is right. Let's right. bring Sanford and Son to Japan. Yeah, uh, that, was, because, that was a very because, bad example. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's a good example because America is the king of entertainment. And everybody wants stuff from America. And for that reason, all the major studios, and this, this goes to something that I've always ran about. Daryl's probably seen You guys have probably seen it where I talk about how so many of the animation companies in the U.S., in particular ADV, are just killing themselves to be seen as just exactly the same as a Hollywood studio. And because the Hollywood studios have these overseas venues for things, when Universal Japan 
says, we want to release a special edition of Streets of Fire, boom, it comes out. <laughs> when, oh. when Disney Japan says, we want to release the song in the South, Disney U.S. goes into the vault and gets all the elements and gets all the American animation fans all hot and bothered saying, oh my God, is Song of the South going to finally be released in the U.S.? No, but it is going to be in Japan. All that happens because the American entertainment conglomerates have arms in Japan. American TV shows have been coming out in Japan longer on DVD than they have here in the U.S. Warner Brothers in particular has been incredibly aggressive. They are like three seasons ahead of ER in Japan than in the release in the U.S. Any TV show where you sit there, well, where is it happening here? It's probably already come out in Japan Mm. because Warner Brothers Japan is being very, very aggressive with the overseas stuff. It's similar to, and and this will tie into things I'm sure you guys know more about, how Warner Brothers in England was much more aggressive with Babylon 5 on home video Mm. than here in the U.S. where they kind of act like, well, why are we even bothering with this show? But there's nothing really similar here. So the American companies have to go, you know, the ADV has to go to Japan. They have to find a broker. They have to find someone who barters a deal. They go to someone who owns the rights. And they say, we'd like to get the show. And the Japanese say, well, it's this much money. And it's like, whoa, shock, we can't handle that. I believe that ADV actually created an office in Japan and actually produced about a, a dozen shows there. Mm. Well, I don't, know, I don't know how active they were in it, if it's just yeah. more of a case of, okay, we'll sign a check, here's $20,000. I'm sure that it was basically yeah. just them saying, okay, if we can get the licensing for this, we'll, we'll fund yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was really excited about, say, like, Toei releasing stuff themselves, because I thought, oh, maybe we'll get cheaper prices, because we oh, won't have to have all that middle crap of licensing and everything. But then the problem is, it's like, media in Japan is so ridiculously overpriced. Mm-hmm. Like, those companies price gouge so much in Japan, and then they want to do the same thing here. They make abysmal releases. If, if I may, it's not a case of they price gouge in Japan. It's a case of the well, it seems system. like it. <laughs> well, it, it, it seems like it to you. I mean, sure. I mean, you sit there, you know, 3,500 yen for a CD. What's up yeah. with that? It, it's not that it's price gouging. It's that the distribution system is still 19th century. You know, there, there really isn't a case. If you're, you know, Mama-san's convenience store and you happen to sell DVDs, you can't go to a one-stop or a jobber and say, hey, you'll get me the stuff, and then you get a discount because, you know, you're buying X amount of volume. You go to your neighborhood distributor who then goes up to his regional distributor who goes up to his next distributor, and there's like, you know, six or eight levels of people touching the product before it gets to the store. Oh, that's crazy. I don't know what the statistics are, but the last I heard, that something like 60% of retail establishments in Japan still use abacus and uh, handwritten notes for their cash registers. They don't do POS scanning. They don't do just-in-time delivery. They don't do inventory tracking. They don't do any of the stuff that you and I consider, you know, a common way of doing business. You know, you've got the abacus for the price. When, when you bring the manga up to the counter, they pull out the little pink slip in there that says you've sold this book. 
you know, they stamp it so that they can give it to their jobber who goes to the distributor, who goes and gets to the next volume. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's incredibly primitive for being such an advanced country. And that's why things are so expensive. There's so many hands touch the product wow. that it just is excessive. So that's an advantage we have. But this is where it goes to that. When we have the Japanese companies like Bandai who come to America and they go to California and they see the fans paying $10 for 300 yen paperback manga. Yeah. They see the fans paying $20 for a 1,000 yen model kit. They sit there and say, oh, these people love paying that kind of price. <laughs> so when Bandai starts up Anime Village in 1999, mm-hmm. they're going to price their VHS tapes at $30 each, yeah. even though they've cut out all the middlemen in the production when they started the market. They could have sold those tapes at 10 bucks each. Mm-hmm. But, but they, it's all because, Anime Expo's fault. It is. Yes. But, you know, and and that's why Bandai had that huge failure with their model kits in the U.S. because Mm. they brought over that selection of Gundam model kits. Right. And they saw that people were perfectly happy shelling out 20 bucks for 1,000 yen model kits. So in Toys R Us, what do we get? We get, you know, 1899 pricing on thousand yen model kits. Right, and, and that's what it, it was infuriating. I was like, oh great, yeah. I can finally go buy this master grade here in Toys R Us. Oh, I Without go there, having and to it's pay. more expensive than it would be yeah. if I were to just order it from Hobby Link Japan and get it shipped. And yet there's the dichotomy of it, because mm. then you get to those mobile suit and action figures, which are like seven, eight, nine dollars, and in Japan, they were 20. Hmm. So, you know, what's the difference? Well, it's the economics of scale. You know, anytime you get someone complaining about things, they'll say, oh, it's the economics of scale. That's why dubs are cheaper than subs, because we sell more of them. So it's cheaper, because then we can sell more of them. It's like, well, if you priced a subtitled VHS, you'd probably sell it the same, because it's not the customers who buy it. It's the distributors and the stores. And if they can make money on it because it's cheaper, they'll buy more of it. Well, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, we, just, anyway, we just don't understand a, the realities of the industry. I yeah, think it's yeah, you're not, you're, you're not on the inside. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very interesting thing with the model kits because I think that that's another example of how distant the Japanese company was. What the American, American marketplace market? was, right. was like, no accepting. No attempt whatsoever now, to integrate they, into the actual me, pre-existing model kit building Community. Now, community, when you yeah. look at the model kit building community, it's largely a very, very small sci-fi or or military, military, military. or yep. train Cars. building thing, and that sci-fi part is very small. People mm-hmm. who build those model kits are largely people who were building them before there were video games and before there was competition mm-hmm. for yep. your time. And yep. it seems like that the only reason that it's held on so long in Japan is because Gundam ex- was on air in 1979 and exploded in 1982 or 3. And because it's been around for so long, those model kits, you, you can still get them in Japan. But mm-hmm. largely, people in America won't build model kits. And I think they just totally missed the ball on the research yeah. there. And as well. yeah, Gerald, you just yep. said it yourself. It took them 20 years. Yeah. to get to that level, and they come over here, and they're like, oh, we're mm-hmm. just going to get that same level of success overnight. Right. And you see yeah. that line of logic, and we're not really off topic here by talking about model kits, even though we're supposedly talking about licensing. It's because the same <laughs> line of mm-hmm. thought is yeah. what drives both of these actions. Mm-hmm. It yep. drives the, we'll just 
put these things on the shelves and price them at this and people will mm-hmm. buy them because they love it and it's great and we don't have yeah. to do anything. We don't have to build over the course of decades to this. Same right. thing with, oh, we've got some podunk little show here. Oh, but this is going to be the next Dragon Ball Z. We can sell yeah. this thing for you know, gangbusters. And yeah. I remember Matt Greenfield, he had said he had wanted to license Jinro. Yes. And mm-hmm. he, he went to the license and said, oh, no, no way. Jinro, and, and Jinro is a phenomenal film, but Jinro is not the kind of thing that's going to light the world on fire here in the U.S. just by the very nature of what it is. Yeah. And right. with the Japanese, were like, oh, Jinro, no, this is a huge, giant movie. We want, you know, all kinds of crazy money for it. And mm-hmm. so ADV turned it down, and ultimately it ended up being for the better for me because Viz did a phenomenal job on the general release and it's just that <laughs> mentality yeah of- i think that the, the sad thing is that there are certain market realities now i think as it is now the time is past for the original dirty pair tv show mm-hmm. i don't well, I, I think so too uh, the time passed for saint Seiya's clarissa right Seiya. right yeah, I, I agree well, anyways, but you see I, I would disagree with saint Seiya to the point that if it had been advertised more prominently and if they had really hammered home the price points and not relied on Bandai and Deke to theoretically carry the water for the promotion, mm-hmm. if they had said, we're going to make this a success and we don't care what you guys do, it could have been at least a contender. You know, that's, that's like a whole five shows worth of stuff. We yeah, yeah, between Sensei and Dunbine, we'll be here all night. <laughs> yeah, and, and don't get right. me started on uh, manga and Hokuto no Ken. Oh, man. Yeah, don't get me started. The big thing you've got with all of this stuff, it all defaults to who is doing the importing and then who is mm-hmm. buying from the importers. I, we had our thing here in Grand Rapids this past weekend, this weekend of June 25th and 6th, uh, 2006, for the future records. We had a thing called JFAX, which is a little oh, right. regional festival thing. Mm. And there were a number of dealers there, and they had... There was actually a fair amount of merchandise available if you liked Full Metal Alchemist, Fruits Basket, and Naruto, maybe Trigon. Yeah, Naruto. Uh, oh, 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 yes, Naruto. Yeah. Lots of, there were yeah. headbands and claws and ninja daggers. I know how that plenty. is. It's like you can find tons of stuff for that, but it's like I'm always having to dig through the Gashapon things for my Saint Seiya sets. Or it's yeah. like, nobody carries blackjack stuff. I would buy every single piece of blackjack merchandise that they had there, but nobody yep. will bring it. Oh. Because, because nobody they have knows to hedge their bets on what they do. Yeah. Because the they're they're going to take the you soft bets. Well, because America sucks and they don't appreciate blackjack like they should. <laughs> That's true. There has been a ton of crap released over the last few years. There are things released to the um, crane game toys that are yeah. just absolutely mind-blowingly astonishing and oh, nobody no. ever sees them um and you'll see them you'll see them pop up on yahoo japan and all that sort of thing yeah like uh i think last year they came out with a gundam beam saber that had an ex- the telescoping uh blade and made sounds and lit up you know and who would not want a gundam beam saber that did that you know it just it's like a lightsaber. No, it's Gundam! <laughs> I think that that's interesting, because we say that, you know, who doesn't want that? And I think the four of us would definitely want that, But and I think the but Japanese then, company thinks everyone wants that. Right. 
It Shinsuke. really is. It's probably the four of us want it, and everyone else, no. Who are we kidding? But you see, but that's just it. It, it would be a risk, but it'd be the kind of thing that mm. were someone to do it, it would be if someone were to specialize in crane game toys. And I think, in mm. a way, uh, Anime Palace kind of, sort of does, but I think they've gotten out of it over the years. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to try something holding up to my microphone here. Watch your ears. This may be loud, but I want to see if this can come through. I'm going to, and this will be something you can edit. I'll give you kind of a bumper for it. Um, coming up in three, two, one. Yeah, that came through perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That yeah. is that is my super deformed Kenshiro talking keychain. I guess to get back uh, to get back to the original point. No, Did we lose somebody? We, we no, have no. a point on this podcast ever. Well, well, my point was that you know anime companies are totally out of touch, and that they yeah, and that I think that they yeah. probably just do not see they they don't do enough research. They don't seem mm. to understand the market. Yeah. Um, oh, 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 um, um, if I if I may, uh, there's something I was getting around to, and I didn't I didn't quite uh, throw in there. There is still that. 1970s, 1980s mentality, apparently, again, from an outsider looking in, in the Japanese industry, well, that America is, is paved with gold. Mm. And that, uh, of course, you can charge a lot of money because America is rich, oh. the American companies are rich, and mm. they'll make lots of money at it anyway, so you may as well charge as much as you can get because, you know, Americans will spend that money. You know, it's just an endless, re- an endless source of income over here. And, you know, it really hasn't been that way for a long time. Well, for for example, look at this deal. You mentioned earlier the deal with ADV partnering, you know, selling a share of the company to that Japanese investment firm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure part of those people are like, oh, we are going to make so freaking much money off that live-action Evangelion movie, <laughs> you know. And right. it's like, no, you don't even understand. Yeah. <laughs> But I guess that, as I said, I don't really have, you know, a quick fix for this. This is just really how I see the industry now. I I know that uh, in business school they say, you know, an industry is an infinite, it goes from an infant to growth to mature to a decline. Mm. It seems to me like we're in the mature stage, but I don't necessarily agree that then it's the decline and it's the end. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that anime desperately needs something. You could argue with me and I would understand that, you know, Naruto is the thing that is bringing in new people. I you don't think it Im- is? I, think... I get the impression that a lot of people, like, see Naruto and Inuyasha on Cartoon Network and are like, oh, hey, that's pretty cool, and then discover other stuff. I well, want to believe that's true, because that is what yeah. Rim from Geek Nights that's was saying. Is that, oh, people start up with this, and then they'll meet someone, and then they'll show them towards the Master Keatons of the world, but that's beautiful optimism, and I wish I lived in that wonderful world. I don't. The whole thing with context and history, all we have to do is look back at uh, Dragon Ball Z Mm -hmm. and see, you know, it's exactly what's going to happen. What happened with Dragon Ball Z? It created a whole bunch of people who are really, really into Dragon Ball Z. And just Um, There are people... Yeah. There are people who who get past that, who graduate on to other things because they're actually interested in the form. But I can tell you from my years of experience of, of selling the stuff, mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z fans only really want Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, um, a lot like Robotech fans. And yeah. so you think that Naruto fans again will they will buy Naruto, but they won't 
maybe only like 10% will move beyond that? Hmm. I, I think 10% would be generous. Um, okay. And hasn't it I always mean, been like that, though? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know yeah. if I'd say it's necessarily a bad thing that, oh, tons right. of people were watching Dragon Ball Z, only a few people went afterwards. Right. All right, fine, we take what we can get. I'm. There is kind of a natural weeding out process insofar yeah. as that the people who do move past it are naturally, going back to the guys complaining earlier, are naturally more inclined to be interesting because mm-hmm. they've moved past that one little thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being intensely interested in one particular show or even one particular subgenre right. of anime. But, you know, it, it's, a thing, it's a thing where you just kind of have those, those expectations. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you, like the Gundam Wing fans, they did not want to look at G Gundam. They did not want yeah. to look at original Gundam. They wanted Gundam Wing. Right. And if there had been some magical way to have cranked out more Gundam Wing episodes, those would have been the happiest people in the universe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you believe that my assessment that uh, is wrong then, that the anime audience is still increasing at the same rate, kind of leveling off? We have to go back and define what exactly you mean by audience. By audience, do you mean going into a brick-and-mortar store and buying the DVDs? Or do you mean audience as in if they can't watch it on TV, they'll rip it off the Internet and they don't care about buying anything? I'm going to go with the audience. The people paying the money. Yeah, the people that actually support the industry. I suspect that that the market is about the same as it's always been. I don't think there's been as much growth as they would like to think. The growth in the industry is because retailers were being told by the industry trade publications that anime was a growth medium. And, and so they all started in of, buying into it. Yeah. Right, because the, 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 the prospect of having lots and lots of people coming into your store and plunking down $30 for a DVD mm-hmm. instead of carping because how come your copy of King Kong isn't 12 bucks like it is at Walmart <laughs> is like a, a savior, a godsend yeah. to you know the, the Joe video store who mm-hmm. is desperate to find ways to make some money around the big box people. The problem is, two years ago, the uh, home entertainment industry decided that anime was dead. Mm. and that the growth market now was TV on DVD. Right. Um, last year, in 2005, was the watershed year where it was the huge push for it, and now uh, in the industry we're having the culling. There are reports in the magazines about stores are reporting declining sales, and they have to buy smarter, and the various studios are working harder to lower the price points. And, you know, that is where all the money is going. That mm. is why anime is, is having the problems it's having now, it's not necessarily that the buyers have declined, mm-hmm. it's that the stores aren't spending the money on anime because they're putting all that money into TV on DVD. So, so basically, it's not that there's fewer buyers, like you were saying, it's that there's just less hype to the people who are putting the product on the shelves? Mm. I'm not even sure if it's less hype to the people putting on the shelves. It's a perception within the industry that anime doesn't matter anymore because it's not going to be the huge profit center. And since you've got Suncoast, which was the main pusher of anime, effectively out of business, I mean, even though they still have a couple hundred stores, those aren't going to be around much longer either. You know, with Suncoast out of the picture, there isn't anybody else who's picked up the challenge. Virgin megastores have not... 
Tower Records has not, FYE has not, although they did make a press release that they were going to push their video more. It's not happening. Best Buy is slowly, you know, trimming everything that isn't TV on DVD. And, of course, everybody is breathlessly, breathlessly awaiting that savior of the industry, high-definition DVD, where, once again, the price point of the disc can be brought up and profits mm-hmm. can return to those huge, huge monies. It seems to me that something really big that needs to happen is like, so maybe the audience isn't necessarily going to increase or isn't necessarily going to increase very much, but I guess maybe if like they could just find a way to get through to the Japanese companies and get them to change their yep. mind and like ease up on the licensing costs or to release things themselves over here and not do such a terrible job. It seems like the, the American people that are working with them already are not getting through. I don't know. Like, Is there any way to... I, I think there is a way. I, I Here's the way that the I... Japanese people? Here's my or... conjecture. Hmm. The Japanese now are at the point where, as they're making these shows and budgeting out these shows, they're just assuming that they're going to make X amount of money on the U.S. broadcast of it, because, oh, Ergo Proxy or whatever, oh, we're right. going to make that specifically to sell over here because it's licensed before even the first episode airs in Japan, whatever. Uh-huh. And they're doing that for a lot of shows, but it's like Gerald said, they're not licensing a whole lot of shows anymore, so what's going to have to start happening is they're going to have to start losing a shitload of money on mm-hmm. stupid shit that... Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to sell at the price that they were asking for, and then eventually they're going to say, oh, hmm, we were banking on people to pay X amount of money through the nose for this thing to save us and bail us out, and then it didn't happen, and then it didn't happen again, and then it didn't happen right. again for you know maybe a year, maybe two years, or however long it takes for them to get it through their head, and then they'll realize, all right, what we're going to have to do is cut the prices of licensing the thing down somewhere and whether or not that's going to translate to making cheaper shows or not Mm. or in my ideal perfect world it'll be they'll stop making crappier shows yeah Yeah, that's not going to happen either that's why steve's laughing at me I'm afraid that they're going to do I what, what I, I hate all businesses for, and they're not going to say, oh, it looks like we fucked up and we're using nope, bad right. business processes. Not, I'm afraid no that they're going to, yeah, I'm afraid that they're going to do the same thing as like the RIAA and all these other businesses that are so stuck in their routine, and they're just mm-hmm, going to give mm-hmm. up, and they're just going to say, well, we won't release stuff in America anymore. And that's exactly right, because that is what will happen. They'll say, boy, we don't know what your problem is. We can sell this shit in Europe for, no, for yeah. you know, whatever. You know, and of course, there's a lot of the stuff that's the Anna Silly stuff. They're not concerned about making money with the show because they've got the singles from the pop star that's opening the 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 series to to sell. They've got they've got a deal with such and such a company to make uh, fish snacks. You know, fish uh, sausage. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever Anna Silly deals there are, the the show is almost unimportant yeah. to the outside merchandising, which is where they make the money on it. And this goes to why we always have the flaw. Um, if, you, if you ever want to do another show on this, I would love to go into a big thing on the difference between why a show like Naruto or One Piece or um, Detective Conan is huge, huge, huge in Japan and why it just can't get traction in the U.S. to match it. Yeah, because, Naruto well, and One Piece may not be the best examples, but Detective Conan is phenomenal. Well, no, one, yeah. one, one Piece, One Piece is because One Piece is. Well, One Piece was handled terribly. One Piece was handled terribly in the U.S. release. So, what I'm saying is that there's not really a good way to solve it. That I mm. guess the, Jap- that the American companies are responding and how they can. 
And so that's basically my rant. All right. Yeah. I guess it's review time now. I mean, there's, you may as well just make it get darker and darker and darkest just before the dawn. So I'll I'll be going next. It's with, so cold, so cold. No, no, it's so cold. We're, we're gonna be exiled to the motherfucking Phantom Zone now because it's MD Geist reviewing. It's funny because I I actually ended up with a reference to MD Geist in mine. Oh, good. Through virtue of the dude that does the theme song for Shines with him. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's a joke I'm gonna make too. Oh, you have to edit this out because it's a it's a oh. hidden surprise. Hi, I'm Ichigo. I'm Balto, and we're Anime Pulse. We got our fingers on the pulse of anime. Do you like anime, but you don't know what to watch? We love anime and watch it all the time. So if you want the true fan's perspective on the latest and greatest in Japan. Rants, discussions, or stories about anime, then we're the ones to check out. So check out Anime Pulse at www.anime-pulse.com. Hey, you kids! What are you doing on my lawn? Oh, snap! It's old man Chigo! We gotta run for it! Run! Don't make me come out there! We've already taken so long at recording this, I think at this point it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. This is gonna be <laughs> like right. the Patrick Macius review. Uh, it's another, like, five hours. Of because of the mystery frequency. Exactly. And now... MD Geist. Life is going to get pretty grim, folks. MD Geist, part one anyway. One of the very first anime OAVs released in North America. Koichi Ohara, you silly bitch. I will give you props. You did mecha design work for Gunbuster and Shaw's Counterattack and Macross 2. And mecha design is the only thing good about it. But if you mm -hmm. see this man's name as the director of something, look the fuck out. This dude directed <laughs> motherfucking Cybernetics Guardian, Genocyber, mm -hmm. and then more recently he did Blue Gender. Okay, He, he was that. a producer. Yeah, he did that with Hiroshi Takahashi and he's best known yeah. for both times, right? But he did Burst Angel. Burst Angel! Oh. Just draw, man. MD Geist, notorious for being totally crappy in the not especially fun kind of way. That came out in the U.S. what, Steve? I don't know, 92, something like that. It was, like, it, well, it was the early days, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the early days of anime, one of the first things to come out here, and so people would take anything, so they took MD Geist. And the original thing was, I don't know, 1986 or something. Yes, 1986. Okay. It was a bad time in a good year. For the sake of comedy, rather than actually properly review it, I'm just going to summarize it so that you never have to watch it. Uh, yeah, I think that's the best way to approach this one. You know this thing is we trouble. We watch it, so you don't have to. Yeah, that's right. You, yeah. you know yep. that you are in trouble from the start of MD Geist. MD Geist, opening scene. Text captions on the screen explaining the supposed story. And the text captions go for like three or four minutes, it feels like. And basically all they're trying to convey is there's a war going on on some planet. And there's two sides fighting. There's the regular army. That's their name, the regular army. We're the regular <laughs> army! And then there's the Nexrum army. And so the opening scene is there's this flying troop transport, and they're carrying a bunch of power-armored soldiers, and then just flies over some corpse lying on the ground. But then it's a, actually a dude. He just t takes his rifle, and he just shoots straight up at the transport. But it fires like a grapple hook. Okay, that's cool. He uses the grapple line to swing up to the cockpit. Then he takes what I want to believe is the exact same gun th that the grappling hook just fired, only now it's a rocket launcher, and it fires a <laughs> rocket, even though it's shaped like a rifle, it's still a rifle, it fires rockets, fine, it's a rocket rifle, I'm cool with that, alright, 
I played Jagged Alliance 2. I can live with the <laughs> rocket rifle. That's good and well. But then after he does that, fires the rocket straight through the cockpit in midair, kills everybody aboard. He just starts shooting into the plane because he feels like it to blow it up even more. Only it's an ordinary assault rifle now. It fires regular bullets. And the whole thing blows up. He just jumps out of the falling, exploding plane. No parachute. He's fucking ultimate Captain America and parachutes off for sissies. And he's perfectly fine when he hits the ground. Forgot to mention the important part. By the way, the whole time he's doing this, he's got a fresh bleeding bullet wound right between his eyes. I guess he must have shot himself in the head so he could disguise himself as a dead guy. <laughs> then he just pulls the bullet out of his forehead as he's walking away from the smoldering wreckage to show how fucking hardcore he is. No explanation as to why he's got a bullet in his head. Nothing. Then, more text captions. M.D. Geist. Oh, by the way, I just spoiled the surprise disguise. M.D. Geist. He was this genetically created super soldier. Just like Captain America. Created by the regular <laughs> army. He was just too hardcore. So, too so extreme. Is, a soldier. And so so they, who is M.D. Geist's Bucky? He's the Mick Foley of anime? Yeah, he's hardcore. He's you know, <laughs> the Tommy Dreamer. And he's more of the Sandman kind of guy, but not like the new Sandman like you see now. The original one. So they imprison him aboard a satellite. Make no mistake. The M.D. in his name does not mean that he is a medical doctor. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, he managed to remove a bullet from between his eyes. Yeah, That's pretty Blackjack can't do that. But no, MD guys. Blackjack operated on himself. Maybe, but Ooh. he's he's no MDS. He's the most <laughs> dangerous soldier. Oh. See that? Next scene, out of nowhere, no explanation. You just see him fall out of the sky from orbit, totally naked. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, All man. class, though. They don't draw the dick. It's just black void. It's been so long since I've seen this, <laughs> and I it, forgot and just, all about and this. And it's a lightning storm out of nowhere. It seems to me like the Terminator, but Helen McCarthy said it's an Easy Rider reference since he's just all naked. He goes to pick up this pocket watch on the ground. It's I guess that's from Easy Rider, and then he picks it up and it crumbles into dust. Because, oh shit, several years have passed. Now the whole planet is this generic Mad Max post-apocalyptic setting. And by the way, this is a whole other planet. It's not planet Earth. It's very, very important. And so it's proof that it's not planet Earth. It cuts to these generic road warriors, Fist of the North Star kind of thugs. And they're all just lynching and killing some guy. He's in this shitty suit of armor. It's basically a metal football uniform. <laughs> if you've ever seen anything released by U.S. Manga Corps, you know, they all have this picture of this thing, or maybe it's a crappy CG sequence of it. This shitty looking armor is their company spokes mecha of Central Park Media. Even never though mind. it's not a mecha. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. It's, it's just a suit of armor with a guy in it. It's not like it's a power suit. It's not actually a mecha, but it's still their company spokes mecha. That's strangely <laughs> so, appropriate. So he's like the Atomic Knights from the old DC Comics, only it isn't powered by radioactivity. I don't know if it's that good. Not even Diapolon good. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Diablo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> MD Gun was good. Shows up out of nowhere right after this killing. Fully clothed now. Has a full outfit. No idea where it came from. I don't believe my eyes. Who the hell is that swab? Get your stinking hands the hell off our stuff! You scum wouldn't even know how to use it. I'm the only one here who really has the skill. Then he just starts taking the armor himself. After he kills off the leader of the thugs in this really shitty way, like, here's the fight. He takes a pocket knife, cuts the dude's hands off, just like that. Causes the dude to start bleeding what I have sand. scientifically determined to be red sand. 
Possibly yes. mixed. <laughs> Whatever the fuck it is, it sure as hell is not blood, because blood does not behave like anything resembling what we're seeing. This thing's like smoke and not liquid. I guess right. it's supposed to be blood. That's not enough for MD Geist. He just walks up behind him, sticks the knife straight through the guy's head, and in true dog soldier fashion, does not kill you instantly having a knife stuck through your head. You still get to put in the last word before dying when you get a knife stuck through your head. <laughs> oh my god! They killed me! <laughs> you bastard! That's remarkably cognizant for, you know, yeah, a man yeah. who for has considering got his a man brain. who's had his hands lopped off and a full knife stuck straight in through his temple to the other side of his brain. So, right afterwards, <laughs> after Envy Guy shows how hardcore he is, some random set of tits named, I don't know, Via. I don't know if her last name was Condios. She shows up and she's so <laughs> impressed. So impressed with Geist being so hardcore, she offers to pork him right then and there. Make him the leader of the gang. Geist doesn't give a shit, though. He's too busy looking at this fucking ridiculous goddamn skull candlestick in her tent. I guess Geist doesn't care because he's like the celibate version of Kratos from God of War. <laughs> I gotta talk more about this girl, Vi. I take one look at her and I think, oh god, she's anti-entity. I'm just waiting for her to ask Geist, WHO RUNS BARTERTOWN?! Doesn't happen. <laughs> Very disappointing. Next scene! Broad daylight. Random desert out of nowhere. Geist is just there, but he looks totally different from before. Different haircut. Different clothes. No more beard. Big-ass goddamn aviator shades. Covers half his head. Like Sylvester Stallone and Cobra. I guess he went on, like, in between the scenes off-camera, he went on... That popular show, Extreme Makeover Mad Max Wasteland Edition. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got this super motorcycle from out of nowhere, and this, the motorcycle design is pretty shitty. It's a Return of the Jedi speeder bike, with like a ricer engine strapped to the back of it, I don't know. So he gets in this thing, he uses it to attack like a tank. It's a land carrier, but he doesn't actually attack the tank, he saves the tank from a bunch of people in powered armor. Actual powered armor people! They're in this show, but MD Guys doesn't get powered armor. It's not like he even goes, after going to all that trouble to get the football uniform shit from before, he decides he doesn't actually need to wear it. So he just kills all these robot suit guys using a spear and that little bullshit knife as opposed to anything cool. Sounds It's a really good knife. It, it's a really good two-inch knife that he's able to cut through anything with, and no explanation <laughs> how he found it because he was buck-ass naked when he fell to the earth. I was thinking it's like that episode of South has, Park where Cartman went to jail. Yeah. Went to juvie. <laughs> I know it sounds impressive, yeah. sort of, because whenever the people die, you're almost guaranteed to see their intestines flying around. It's, mm. it's really lackluster and crappy. I guess he saved the tank, because the tank contains the colonel of his former unit, and I guess he betrayed him all Armor Hunter Mellow Link style, so Geist wants revenge. But he doesn't want to kill this dude yet, so he saves him. And then there's the amazing scene. He drives past the tank at like 200 miles an hour. Everything stops. There's a series of still frame shots to show the shock of the commander realizing, oh shit, it's MD Geist. Like, not only can he see through the makeover and the shades, it zooms in on the dog tags around his neck. Like, he can fucking read the tags in the blink of an eye. <laughs> and I read the tags and it says MD Geist. Shit, it's, he's back. There's a lot of high drama. The dub is really good. We only heard one clip of it. I think we gotta hear some of this award-winning acting right now. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm a hyena. Yeah, I live off dead men. But who made me that way? You, the army boys! Your damn battles have killed almost everyone on the planet! Most of the people that dreamed of a bright future got snuffed out like candles! And the unlucky few who aren't dead yet are now left in a living hell! If I'm a hyena, then you're a demon from hell! Oh, those early 90s wow. manga dubs. That, uh, but it was so accurate. Yeah, I mean, that dub was 100% accurate to the script. Yeah, yeah, that was back in the days when the dub script the would just literally be, they'd exactly read off the subtitle script. Bad dialogue. Better read oh, than man. heard. What yeah. is that supposed to be? That's some kind of Akira Kurosawa Seven Samurai shit? How can you blame the farmers for, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, okay, the colonel recognizes M.D. Geist. He's like, oh, shit, he's here to kill me. So he does the only logical thing. He offers to let MD Geist join him on his mission. And the mission is to get to what has to be the greatest name ever. This mission is top secret. I won't repeat it, so listen closely. This is our strategic headquarters. Brain Palace. <laughs> Brain. Brain Palace. Oh, man, they're really good at naming stuff. Brain Palace. Brain Palace and the regular army. Brain Palace. Palace. Honestly, they do have to get there. Yeah, they have an objective. They need to infiltrate the Brain Palace. So they can stop something that's got an even better, even more creative name than Brain Palace. It's even more inspired. Our mission is to invade the Brain Palace and deactivate this program. Its name, the Death Force. <laughs> Not Death Force. Not the Death Force. The, the jarring chord. Uh, like the, oh no, not the Death Force. That's like, ready to begin zapping. And oh no, not zapping. Yeah, basically, oh, the Death Force. Oh. It's these millions of robot soldiers that'll just kill all living things on the planet. They don't get there in the next few hours. Don't bother asking why they would actually make this, but... Yeah. I don't know, it's some Jack yeah. Bauer shit that's going on. They only they're <laughs> out of time and they gotta get there quick enough and this is a big time job. It warrants MD guys putting on the goddamn football uniform. <laughs> and, and all the while there's some poignant character development feelings, things like that, with the girl Via, basically. Oh, I'm not fooling anyone. She stands there being totally useless, showing off her ass. That's what she exists for, and mm-hmm. Geis acts completely cold and indifferent to her. Which just makes her love him even more. It doesn't work in real life, though. I try it. I keep trying it, though. I'm going to keep trying it because MD Geist would not lie to me. (laughs) It will work eventually. All I have to do is just be meaner. Get a pocket knife, football uniform, and then there's this other shitty battle with the flying robot guard things out of nowhere, and a bunch of random soldiers, they get killed. This really moved me emotionally. The speeches of these dying soldiers were, were profound and really illustrated to me the graveness of their efforts. Hold on, you'll make it. It doesn't look that bad. Colonel, you and Mr. Geist have to get to the control room quickly. <laughs> No. 
You killed them. I switched between the dub and the sub because Gerald was saying, oh, the dub is so accurate to the script. But here's the oh. thing. They read the same lines, but they read them at totally different times. So it actually changes the times which people say lines. Like, you'll see a character getting killed, and the Japanese, they'll scream out that guy's name. But the dub, it's totally silent. And then if you see some other character dying, that's when the dub screams the name of the guy who died earlier in the Japanese track. So that's how important these characters are who are getting killed. Colonel, dude, who I have to mention, Mike Toole thinks this guy looks like Captain Murphy from Sea Lab. <laughs> they get in the base. He activates this big robot thing once they're in the Brain Palace to, brain fight, palace. to fight Geist. And while he runs off to you know disable the Death Force. And you know this is the big climactic fight because that's when the Hironobu Kageyama song kicks in. <laughs> yeah, because he sang all the songs for this. I mean, Hironobu Kageyama is the dude who sang all what? the songs from DBZ, a bunch of Sentai shows like Jetman. Oh, you ruined it. That's in my second. Lead singer for Jam Project. So you know, you know this it, fight is that... a big deal. Now, let me break it down for how this fight goes. Immediately, Geist punches the robot in the face. It's a robot, mind you. Then the robot, the robot just melts into gray goo. <laughs> From being punched in the face. Yes, it's like all those residents of Springfield in that one two-part episode of G.I. Joe, the Synthoid Conspiracy. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> Fuck all you. All that shit gave me nightmares when I was a kid. <laughs> you know who wrote that episode of G.I. Joe? <laughs> Motherfucking Christy Marks wrote all the Gem and the Holograms. Fucking yes! <laughs> Fucking Christy Marks, Joe Michael Straczynski scarred me for life. <laughs> jo JMS was more for that one Slimer Come Home episode of the real Ghostbusters than anything, but I watched every episode of Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, too. Oh, what? I'm MD Geist. All right. Ben, fuck you guys. Gotta talk about this anymore. All right. The goddamn robot gets punched in the face, melts away into goo, revealing another smaller robot underneath the goo. And this one, this one robot, it looks like the Predator. All these swipes from the 80s movies, it should be funny. But the way they do it, they do it like those jokes in the non-Zucker Brothers Leslie Nielsen movies. E.G. Oh, 2001, ow. a space travesty. Oh god, where oh. 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 You see how I said E.G. instead of I.E.? Geek Nice! You're setting me straight. For letting me know the difference. I've been misusing IE and EG, <laughs> using them interchangeably. But no, EG. So yes. yeah, Ugh. how do you take out the Predator? Guy stabs it in its robot head, using that same <laughs> shitty little knife he's been using. And then it explodes from that. Only there's another, even smaller robot oh, God. inside dun, 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 dun. that. It's like those Russian dolls. Yes. Does and it ever end? Down. Yeah, th then he pulls out the power cable from it and dies. Oh. What do you friggin' do? What? Wait, 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 do wait, wait, Do they even get to the chopper? They don't even get to the chopper. Oh. Man, that's some pocket knife. The third robot, it's the smaller, which means it's got to be even more evil, because it's smaller. Oh, Only at this point. But it's still smaller. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's still smaller, because it was inside the predator thing. Yeah, yeah. And he just unplugs it? It's Fuck not, like, that shit. in the back of its head. <laughs> Yeah, MD Geist killed the robot in triple kit. Mission accomplished. The Death Force deactivated. The world is saved. 
But oh, snap. Geist just walks up to the colonel and grabs the colonel's face and just crushes it until the dude's eyeballs fall out of his head. Kills him instantly. Oh. Colonel doesn't fight back or anything. He just stands there laughing like, ha, 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 <laughs> Alright, so the ending to Andy oh, Geist. Man. The single biggest shocker twist ending in anime history. Andy Geist! You killed the Colonel! What? Everyone's dead up above! It looks awful! I hit so I was safe, but all that matters to me is that you're alive! She's <laughs> so happy. Geist, what? Hey, guys, what are you doing? Immediately after that, MD Geist fucking walks up to the computer and reactivates the Death Force countdown because he yep. fucking feels like it, and everybody in the world dies, thus completely invalidating the entire 45-minute OAV. Because yes. surprise, MD Geist is the villain. Oh, he's he's not even an anti-hero. The end. Wow, I forgot that it ended yeah. like that. The end of MD Geist. One. One. Nobody ever talks about the end of it because no, so few people actually watch to the end of no, it. No, 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 no. A lot of people watched it, Gerald, because you see this piece of shit and got onto the billboards. So popular I know. that CPM made so much money off of it that they put up the funds to have the sequel made, and this marked the very first time ever that an American company financed an anime sequel due to the popularity of the original one in the U.S. As shitty as part one is, part two is worse. And through magical mathematics, even though MD Geist is the second worst anime, that does not make MD Geist part two the first worst anime. It all counts as MD Geist, alright? Since Koichi Ohara is such a piss-poor shitty director, the actor in this only has mere seconds to read his lines at the beginning before the credits start and he runs out of breath and the scene ends. It's very, very important because he's got to explain all the massive storyline developments that have happened in the time between parts one and parts two. You idiot! What regular army? You're insane! They were all killed a long, long time ago! The army created those monstrosities and now both them and their enemies have been completely slaughtered! How much longer do we have to fight before it's all over? It doesn't matter! We're all done for anyway! <laughs> and then... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Literally, a guy reading off the page, trying desperately to get all his lines in, before it cuts to... TEXT CAPTIONS! And stills! This director is a genius. The animation budget on this is even lower than before. The solution? Oh, man. More text captions! Oh. <laughs> I think we need more dialogue clips. We've got to find out what is the plot to MD Guys 2... Using his body for food. Hurry, start the engines. <laughs> All right, then hit the next one. How horribly gross! <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was the guy's head getting splattered everywhere. Even though he's just a random guy standing there, then all of a sudden his head gets splattered. From the first sound clip we played, the story of MD Guys Two, the Matrix totally stole its plot from MD Guys Two. Robots <laughs> have taken over the planet. And there is but one last remaining human city. It's run by the Count from Gankutsuo. He's this <laughs> blue-skinned dude. Only his name is M.D. Krauser. <laughs> and then there's Vaya there. She's still alive, but she has amnesia. Because the first OAV, I guess it sucks so bad she doesn't want to remember it either. 
<laughs> she sees Emdy Krauser's dog tags, and it's like, somebody else had dog tags like that, but I can't remember who. I better spend the rest of this entire OAV getting dicked and showing off my ass. That's what I exist for. Oh, man. So then there's a bunch of lame-ass exposition where Krauser sits around buck-ass blue naked and screaming at the top of his lungs. And then it randomly cuts to Andy Geist walking through the ruins. And he passes the goddamn Statue of Liberty wrecked like Planet of the Apes, even though this is not even Planet Earth. Did they fucking build another Statue of Liberty (laughs) on this other planet? Maybe they brought it with them. Maybe maybe Koichi Ohana just fucked up and forgot that it's not Planet Earth. (laughs) It had been ten years. Or is it? it. Or is it? That was our planet. You bastards. Nerds, you blew it up. Damn you all to hell. (laughs) Then there's a lot of shitty still frames and jump cuts and some random fights. MD guys just being an evil person and going to the last remaining city and just killing everybody there. Killing everyone he finds because he's insane. And then he fights Krauser. Oh, shit, MD Geist's armor has fairy wings now. Time to fight in an empty, abandoned city. Oh, shit, we ran out of money. Remember Gunbuster? What they did in the end of that? Yeah, let's do the whole end of this in black and white, like Gunbuster. Except we'll color in everybody's eyes. On a commentary track, this is mind-blowing, I switched over to it. Oh, is like, oh, yes, yes, I, I wanted this to look like it was archi- That's how I imagine Koichi Ohada talking with this arbitrary, <laughs> this aristocratic snob accent. I wanted it to look like this. It was, make it seem like it was archival newspaper photos and media to make it feel like the viewer was looking at history. So, so that's why this is in black and white. Fuck you, Ohada! You ran out of money! You're not fooling anybody! <laughs> now, to be fair, when you're talking animation styles, paint still costs money. So black and white or color, it wouldn't matter. That yeah, makes I it know. even worse, actually. Makes it even then, cause less yeah. excusable because yeah. I thought he did it out of like true artistic merit and glory. Yeah. And then the ending yeah. is just, oh shit, MD Geist is about to stab Krauser. And then Krauser retaliates back with a spear. And for no reason, a little boy runs out in front and he s- Krauser ends up impaling a little boy out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> And this li- let's hear the sound of this little boy dying. <laughs> oh, so convincing. Oh, that had to hurt. Wait, 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 wait. Play it again, because we were too busy laughing. Because Geist, Geist had a response. Play it one more time. Play it again, Sam. We need, we need silence. <laughs> Let me try that again. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be. No, I couldn't have. There's no way! You're not qualified to be a god, Krauser. series and then right out of nowhere the color comes back there's an explosion for no reason then oh hey a shot of Krauser being impaled the end that's the end of MD Geist no explanation of what happened to anyone 
Should we leap to the assumption that that boy was Kowser's son or something? No, crap? the boy was just, when they show Vaya having amnesia, she's just collecting cans or something to stay alive with this little boy who doesn't talk, and then Krauser saves him from the death force and says, hey, come live with the last remaining city because I'm a good person, and I sit in front of this big giant statue of Zeus that I just have. <laughs> Thank you, Krauser. I love you, Krauser. And then it's a twist of irony that Krauser is the one who kills the little boy and not MD. He rescued him only to kill him. Yes. God. Oh, man. Apparently they did. So it took it was ten years between the time MD Geist 1 was made and MD Geist 2 was made. But you can oh, get man. both of these nowadays on one DVD. Why do together you want to advertise the DVD? For $10. And since CPM, this is like the spokes mecha model title release for CPM. Their flagship title. So there's extras on it, like the commentary track. But you ask me, it's not even worth $10. Fuck. <laughs> it's not even worth a Netflix Q rental. You only get three of those a month. If you find it for free. Then maybe you can the ask song. them to sweeten the deal. Throw in a few more dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's considered a gory kind of thing. But I'm going back on what I just said. No, fuck it. Everyone needs to see this. Yeah. You know why they need to see it? So they can see what anime fans 10 years ago liked so goddamn much. Then you too can lose faith in all of anime fandom. <laughs> and realize that the Geek Knight's sickening optimism in their fellow fan is completely unwarranted. <laughs> and always has been. I've summarized most of it. I order everybody. Go. Have your spirits crushed by the terrible weight of zeal-sapping, destroying reality that is MD Geist. And it will make you understand the anime world order even better, even though I guess Gerald and Calersa never watched part two. But, I don't know, it's the wrong kind of bad. Maybe if you watch it with a group of friends, it'll be funny. But that's I mean, all I got. Because, you know, hey, intestines every time somebody dies, which I can slightly approve of that, but even that they managed to make boring, and... I totally forgot to mention the random cyborg guy who beats the shit out of MD Geist and then is like, you know what? Changed my mind, MD Geist. I want you to kill everyone on this planet because I'm a goddamn cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing that is so sad. Back when MD Geist first came out, back in the Stone Age, it was one of the five or six things that were available. And it was one of the first go-tos that people would seek after... Akira. Yeah. So, like, someone who gets all jazzed up on Akira for whatever magical reason that that was the film of its time, the big, oh my god, this gives me a stiffy for anime. M.D. Geist was their second experience oftentimes, and I just wonder how many people are so emotionally scarred by it, they never watched another anime program. <laughs> Not Watching regular American cartoons, it's yep. like, oh no, let's yep. check this shit out where people die yeah. and there's blood. And like, oh, well, Looney Tunes and everything, and then they watch this, and it's like, oh, it actually has, yeah, violence and... It's got naked tits, and that's what sold it. Right, true. Tits and violence. Magic formula. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. Sex and death, that's what makes for compelling Sex. plots. You gotta start off your TV show with either... The first three minutes have to have either a sex scene or a dead body, so the people can be like, what's up with the dead body? Or, oh, cool, people screwing. These are the core <laughs> parts of the brain. Whereas exactly MD Geist starts off with still captions.
right, so yes, moving on now to something, thankfully, much, much better than MD Geist. Which is not saying much in and of itself, but... No, but it is actually good. Yes. yes. I, I, think, um, I think I have a toenail that's better than MD Geist. <laughs> I, I'm sure. Somebody uh, requested that we talk about this, and I said, yeah, sure, okay, because I'm a pretty big fan of this show. Somebody requested we talk about MD Geist, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the person who requested is a very bad person. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, they're terrible. It had a really good discipline reading, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Back in show 12, you can listen to that. <clears throat> so, yes, the thing that I'm talking about is a show called Special Duty Combat Unit Shinesman. It originally started off as a nine-volume manga series by Tachibana Kaimu, who people may recognize from her other manga like Data or Rasen no Kakera, uh, Pieces of Spiral, which is being released by CMX right now. She also did, a lot of people know her for a lot of doujinshi that she did for Samurai Troopers. The manga was serialized in a magazine called Poke, starting in 1992. In 1996, they released a two-episode OAV version of Shinesman. It was done by Production IG and Animate, and it was directed by Sadamitsu Shinya, who did some work on Blue Seed. Uh, he was an episode director for that. He was a script director for Dragon Half. I just remember that that guy did a ton of these like one-shot shows like, uh, like Shinesman. Am, am I wrong in that? I just remember him, he, he just had this knack for just doing these one-shot or two-shot short little things. I don't know, I mean, like I said, he worked on Blue Seed, and he worked on Fushigi Yugi. Hmm, maybe it's someone else I'm thinking And, of. um, I mean, he did work on... He did well, work on I Dragon mean, Half, so that's another... Yeah, I mean, he worked on a couple OAVs, like Birth and Gok Saber. Oh, Birth, a.k.a. Planet Busters. <laughs> Yeah, but this guy's really cool. But most of the stuff he did was TV shows. Most of them I didn't mention because he either didn't do very much on them or they're not very well known. He did some work on a few of the Gundam shows. He was an episode director for Zanbot Three. Uh, okay, okay. I mean, I thought that I'm pretty sure that he's done just a ton of these one-shot OAVs that maybe he's just not listed for. Maybe, yeah. I mean, the listing might be incomplete. So yeah, it was two episodes of an OAV, 30 minutes each episode, so only an hour total. And Shinesman is a parody of Sentai shows. Think Power Rangers, um, five-person teams, each person's got a different color, and this show is, is completely a parody of that. All of the characters have secret identities as members of the special duty combat unit, Shinesman. They each have uh, protests or pro-suits that they wear to fight. Each one of them has a color. Like every Sentai show, the main character and the leader of the team is red. That's a necessity. But all of the other people in Shinesman have really stupid colors. Like Shinesman Moss Green, Shinesman Gray, and Shinesman Sepia, and Shinesman Salmon Pink. And they frequently refer in the show to the fact that the colors are really lame and they should do something about them, but I don't think they ever do. Um, they have, at one point in the show, all of a sudden the show stops and it goes to a fake commercial for Shinesman bath merchandise. Hey kids, it's the Shinesman shower set, including a helmet-shaped bath bucket, business card-shaped bath soap, your very own pro-suit bath towel. Imagine the fun you'll have being a Shinesman in the shower. The Shinesman shower set, available only through the Takabana Company. And then it just goes right back to the show. <laughs> no, uh, just... uh, no fish sausage, huh? No, sadly, no <laughs> fish sausage. 
they totally got Hironobu Kageyama to do the theme song, as, as Daryl mentioned. He'd done theme songs for Sentai shows like Jetman and Gao Ranger and Magiranger. Ranger. And he also did a whole bunch of anime like Apocalypse Zero, the songs for DBZ, Getter Robo, Mazenkaiser. Yes, we will be talking about Apocalypse Zero. Yes. Near and dear to my heart. Uh, he as did... is Getter Robo. <laughs> he did songs for Saint Seiya. But the thing about Shinesman is that the angle that it takes, it doesn't just parody Sentai shows. It also parodies the 90s economic boom salaryman culture. In that the deal with Shinesman is that they're corporate heroes. They're a corporate Sentai team. They all work for the same trading company. And the villains are alien invaders trying to conquer the Earth. But the way that they try and do this is they're disguised as businessmen for another company. And they're trying to take over the Earth, at least partially through industrial and corporate espionage, and raising massive amounts of money through Earth business. And the uh, title is actually kind of a parody of this, because Shine is a term for a corporate worker. So the title is kind of like... Special Duty Combat Unit Corporate Man. All their weapons are businessman-themed, like the business card cutter, the tie-clip bomb, and the cuff beam. So it's this really bizarre mix of Sentai action and corporate nonsense. Almost like, I guess, Common Rider Feist, where he's got, like, the Salaryman <laughs> adding machine. and Oh, oh yeah. No. R5 <laughs> Central's gonna nail me to the wall for... <laughs> No I, I haven't seen much of Common Rider, so I don't know about that one. Just but... watch Kabuto. That's the only awesome one. I keep meaning to get around to that. And another element of the parody is that one thing that was done in the manga is that all of the characters' names are references to well-known seiyuu or voice actors in Japan. And so when they Ooh. made the anime, they actually cast the appropriate seiyuu to fit the name gag to play the character. So the main character, Matsumoto, is played by Yasunori Matsumoto. And Kyoko Sakakibara, the boss, is played by Yoshiko Sakakibara. And the bad guys, you know, Seki is played by Toshihiko Seki, and Sasaki is played by Nozomo Sasaki, and so on and so forth. Which I thought was pretty cool. I thought that was really good that they carried that over into the animated version. Now, another thing is that it's one of the few anime that I can really think of that actually has a really, really good dub. In fact, a lot of people think that the Shinesman dub is better than the original subtitled version, which is pretty unusual. I highly recommend watching both versions for people who decide to pick it up. It's, it's been released on DVD by Media Blasters, both episodes on one disc, so you can pick that up. This is one of their earlier DVD releases, and mm. I believe that you can find this if you go to a convention where they happen to be. They'll oftentimes have a box of stuff that they're selling for like three bucks, and this is oftentimes in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend watching both versions. The dub, by the way, was done by Coastal Carolina Studios, which doesn't exist yes. anymore. They, they're right, now right. Phoenix. Yeah, I don't unfortunately, know if that exists anymore. Yeah, I don't know, which is sad considering how good this dub is. I, comedy, I think, is, is really difficult. Their script supervisor, Jack Reed, and their voice director, Scott Hull, I think did a really, really good job, along with all the voice actors. The dub is fairly accurate to the original Japanese. Of course, it's not word-for-word word the same as the subtitle, but you're not really going to get that because they have to match the mouth movements. Oh, that didn't stop M.D. Geist. Well, no, but that's M.D. Geist, and I don't think anything should emulate M.D. Geist, do you? 
No! Get uh, down! I'm almost thinking that I would rather see piss poor imitations of MD Geist than all this Moe shit. <laughs> I think I think that's how bad oh, it's become. That that, I, that's I that's watch, a dangerous. I that's a dangerous MD path. Geist that is first hard. Hard before I'd watch. That's a dangerous Happy path lesson. to go down, Daryl. It that, is. That's, let's, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> it's depressing <laughs> me. All right. So I do agree that I think a lot of the jokes in the dub version, a lot of them I think are rather funnier. Most of the jokes are pretty much the same as in the Japanese version, except the English dub joke might be embellished a little bit exaggerated even a little bit more. I can think of a couple, like, where the original Japanese has them dragging Sheena out and trying to get rid of her and saying, you know, look, the the, the dimensional portal to the home planet is opened. (laughs) Go ahead and leave. In the English version, they have, like, the wonderful delivery of... Sheena, get in the glowing green square. (laughs) And, I don't know, it, it works better, I think, for stuff like that. There are a few jokes that are added in or altered, but most of them are not really serious. There's only especially one instance... Serious jokes? Well, oh, you know serious I mean. changes. Right, right, okay. serious changes. There's only one instance of a change to a joke of the kind that bothers me. And even then, I'm pretty forgiving of it because overall it's so good. The joke that it gets altered is that one of the alien villains, this incredibly stupid female villain named Princess Sheena, has just come to Earth in order to help out with the invasion. And she's talking about all the things that she can't wait to do while she's on Earth. And she starts talking about these really ridiculous things. And in the original Japanese, the things she mentions these certain things... And the other guy is like, what did you send to our home planet? And his subordinate is like, well, we didn't really have enough reconnaissance material, so I kind of padded it out with scenes from tokusatsu shows. (laughs) In the English dub version. But you know, it might be fun if you could reach behind your back and take out a big mallet. Or hide behind a little skinny tree. Sakita, what sort of information did you send to Planet Voice? Well, we didn't have enough footage of the actual Shinesman, so I sent her a stack of superhero videos from the Cartoon oh. Channel. <laughs> well, I guess it's because the youth of America right, don't really, really identify n- with running from a rock quarry while things explode. Right, right. That's what I was just about to say, is that I, know, I understand that the reason that they did it is because people will get the Sentai stuff because they've seen Power Rangers. Whereas Tokusatsu, we don't really have over here to anywhere near that extent. And so they figured most people probably wouldn't know what they're talking about, so they changed it to something that would make more sense. Those kind of changes to jokes are something that generally bother me just because part of the reason I watch anime and that I'm interested in it is because it's Japanese. If I want to hear jokes about American pop culture, if I want to hear jokes about Britney Spears or whatever, I can watch Saturday Night Live or Conan O'Brien. If I watch something from Japan, I would generally rather learn what they think is funny. Like, what are the pop culture figures that they make fun of? But I understand that not everybody feels the same way in terms of watching anime, and a lot of people will argue that if you have to explain the joke, it's not really very funny anymore. So I cut them some slack on that, and I especially cut them some slack because the dub really is just really good. 
So, Shinesman, I know it's kind of hard to convey the comedy of something like this, just sitting here talking about it. Yeah, you don't want to give away jokes necessarily, yeah. but at the same but time, the you same want to time... somehow convince people it's funny. Right, so I it's failed like... at doing that with my Perfectual Earth Defense Force review. Yeah, but trust well, me. Things, if, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, things don't really go terribly well for them either. I mean, the, the villains are as inept as the team tends to be, isn't it? It's yeah. It's been a long time since I've watched it. I mean, the good guys win, right? but it just is like, it just kind of happens that way. Yeah, they're not, like, extraordinarily good at right. what they do. <clears throat> so I definitely recommend picking it up. It's not very long, but it's completely enjoyable for the amount of time that it lasts. And for something that has such an excellent dub, the only thing that I have a complaint is that the manga has not been released in the United States. The OAV has got put out, but there are nine volumes of manga for this that have never come over. And they haven't even been scanlated that I've ever seen. Now, so you basically cannot read this manga. Now, the anime for this, if I remember correctly, was done as kind of one of those promotional things for the manga, and that it kind I of... I believe so. It it's yeah. follows, like, the first two couple of chapters absolutely scene for right. scene, and then just stops at this one point where you just say, that's it, that's the end, what the, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, unfortunately, because it's only two episodes and the manga was nine volumes, they couldn't put everything into it, and so there isn't really much of an ending. I mean, it's not a complete awful cliffhanger, but it's not like they defeat the villains completely by the end of the OAVs. So there's not a total resolution. The OAVs are really good, but there's so much that didn't make it in there from the manga just because of time constraints. Like, the OAVs, of course, did a really good job with the comedy, and Shinesman is a parody. But what's interesting about Shinesman is that while it is a parody and a comedy, it actually has really good character development and interaction. And it actually manages to have like a decent plotline and some really good stuff beyond just the silly jokes. Unfortunately, there wasn't too much time for a lot of the character development and whatnot to make it into the OAVs. But at least we got to see the guy really begging and screaming for his shotgun. Or Was it a shotgun? Or What? I thought there was like one of the Shinesmen was just all gun-obsessed. No, he's obsessed with his SUV. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Or his, or his truck, as they call it. Yeah, uh, he's it, completely and, obsessed with his car. And it was the ugliest car, too, I yeah, remember. Yeah, it's this it was... big, chunky, gray SUV. It's completely hideous, <laughs> but the dude's obsessed with it. And he spends the whole episode crying about it, like... Now, I think mostly it's pretty accurate to the manga, except for the fact that it's my understanding that the Sheena character did not exist in the manga. Ooh. They apparently created her for the OAVs, and I'm not quite sure why. I don't know if they felt like they needed another cute girl, like they didn't have enough. Maybe they had Hikeru Sheena available. And so... Maybe, maybe. So That's they said, what well, it is. what the hell? I hope that somebody will bring out the manga. Please, if anybody from any manga company is listening, Shinesman should come out. Clarissa here. mentioned this to me, and I thought that I'd heard that the manga got licensed, but I guess Apparently that there's no not. actually no, no real news for that, because it seems like such an obvious thing to license to me. Maybe yeah, Media I don't... Blasters can release the manga for this once they're finished releasing the manga for Apocalypse Zero. They are finished with that, I thought. <laughs> I thought it's nine volumes. I think they're on seven. Oh, mm. crap. Of course, I can't well, find maybe. it anywhere for some reason. But I don't know. Somebody. Maybe somebody release Shinesman. 
And done. Finally. <laughs> With show number 26, Anime World Order, probably one of the roughest jokes of our life. Oh, boy. I'm sitting Man, here reviewing M.D. Geist. Geek Nights is reviewing Osamu Tezuka's experimental films and animation, which are phenomenal. We lose this round in all quantifiable aspects. Yeah, we do. But, uh, oh, God. Drop us an email, animeworldordergmail.com. Let us know how wretched this episode was. Send us voicemail. It's all my fault. 666-4296. Yes, it's all Steve Harrison's no, it's, fault. It's all Max's fault for making us review Empty Geist. Empty goddamn Geist. <laughs> Are you proud of yourself, Max? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he is. is. Bastard. Absolutely. <laughs> Laughing it up right now. Yeah, leave no comments. oral sex for him next time he comes down. Jeez. Record scratch sound effect. Oh, well. Yeah, um, sign up for Rapper Map and all that, and by the time this episode of the podcast comes out, it will be after July 1st, and so what that means is that Podcast Pickle will have deleted all of our favorites. Every single person who we had vote for us on Podcast Pickle has been wiped away at this point, so we're going to ask that you guys really pulled through for us, way more people voted for us than we thought would, and you got us in their top ten and sabotaged the list and got people on their forums complaining about how there were too many anime podcasts <laughs> in the top ten and anime sucks. So we got to do this again to get those people mad again. If you're already registered, just go back on podcastpickle.com and add us to your favorites one more time. And, you know, heck, if you didn't do it before, do it again. I don't know. Whatever. There's also this thing going on right now called Podcast Awards over at, I guess, podcastawards.com where they allow you to vote once Per day from July 1st through July 14th. And I guess, you know, we missed a few days because it's clearly not July 1st when this is coming out. And I guess once a day, if you really want, you can go and vote for us there. But in all honesty... Oh, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve it because real podcasts win those awards. Last time, This Week in Tech won the award or Adam Curry won the award. So, whatever. I feel <laughs> shitty enough asking it's okay for podcast to, you know, pickle votes. I mean, yeah, we podcast gonna... pickle is one thing. The, this is another. Well, thing, we were yeah. gonna <laughs> stop asking for it completely once we were in the top ten, and then boom, we get the message up. Sorry, guess what we're doing? We're deleting all the favorites because in Anime World Order is too good of a prankster compound <laughs> sabotage or rating system. I don't know, whatever. So, next week can't possibly be any worse than this week, because this is the week of nothing but bad news and, and bad ideas. I was or going to do... It. Yeah, I was going to do part two of the Japanese animation convention is decadent and depraved, but after MD Geist, I am a little too drained. I gotta cycle this thing around and get caught back up. I mean, man, I could be reviewing Osamu Tezuka's experimental shorts instead. But no, I'm gonna review something that's actually of merit for a change. I'm going to review Discotech's third release for classic anime in the U.S., Puss in Boots. Yes. And it's uh, really good. We've been talking about Toei. This is kind of Toei's flagship title. Mm Mm-hmm. So, back when Toei used to not... Make good stuff. Yeah. I'm going to be taking a look at a weird, very quirky 1985 OAV that was originally released in America as Time Etringer, which means Time Stranger, and then they re-released it on DVD as Time Stranger, which is confusing because there's another 1986 movie called Time Stranger, which has never been released here, which I will review at another time. So, <laughs> so you're going to be reviewing... I'm going to... Time Stranger. Yeah, Goshigan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Goshigan, the Time Stranger, which is a movie that is 
is based upon the Goshigan TV series, which was released in America as Macron One. Macron One. Yes. Sing the song, Steve. Uh, I could sing the original Go Shogun theme, but I I don't remember Mark on one. I oh. I, mean, I remember it, but oh, you know, I should I, play it right now, but I oh. won't. All right, and Clarissa, what do you got? Well, I think that Daryl's MD Geist review has driven me even more insane than I already was. Because next week. <laughs> I'm going to be talking about Clamp, which I'm surprised I hadn't already done, really. Except, I'm not going to be reviewing the Clamp stuff that I probably should be reviewing, like X or Tokyo Babylon. No, I'm going to review Clamp Campus Detectives. Who wears short shorts? shorts. Fear. You wear short shorts. <laughs> dun-a, dun-a, yes. dun-a, dun-a, Indeed. Boys in tiny shorts. Huzzah. Pederast's <laughs> dream come true. Anyway... Clarissa, I just have to know, why do you continue to review anime and manga the Disney fanboy won't touch with a 20-foot pole? Oh no, it looks like we're going to read this on the air, like his iTunes review. Oh. Oh well. <laughs> because I hate you. Yeah. Someday streamers, <laughs> man, you like that no, shit, I, I... What the fuck, man? He tried to enjoy Look. Air Master, but the character design was like diarrhea to his eyes. Oh, whatever. Someday's dreamers, though. What? That was okay. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, I, I know. know. I'm just I can't I can't remember the shows he likes. I only remember he liked some. Hey, look, I've reviewed Gal Gygar and Saint Seiya and Samurai Troopers, so I don't know. Well, this is a person who said his childhood was the sexiest Disney character to him was Minnie Mouse. What? Whoa. Because yeah. hmm. she's been given constant fan service since 1928. Wow. He could write a book about her because mice need love too. Yeah, so that's the kind of criticism that's being levied toward you, Clarissa, from uh, cool people. How will I ever recover from such erudite criticism of me? Who knows? Tune in next week and find out. Anime World Order. We'll see you around, folks. Bye. Unless everybody unsubscribed in a fit of rage. Like last time, (laughs) when we lost like 300 listeners. Okay. We'll lose even more before the week. 200. Whatever. Only the strong survive. Maybe I should just review like BL for like just weeks in a row until we lose all the listeners. See how fast I can get it down to zero. No, I think MD Geist (laughs) is going to be the... This more stylish way to... And our hour and a half response to Geek Nights. Hour and a half response. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what we're going to do with editing that. (laughs) Who knows.